Mom to Mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. The term helicopter parent was derived from some parents literal and continuous hovering over their children's every move. It is a fitting term for moms and dads who choose to oversee every detail of their children's lives. Even when kids are more than capable of doing things independently, helicopter parents can't help but swoop in and take matters into their own hands. On today's episode, we are sifting through the pros and cons of micromanaging and parenting our children and the difference of being an overprotective parent, and maybe even having a child-centered home. When we consider it a child-centered home, child-centered parents love their children. They want to promote their autonomy, individuality, and creativity, and who would disagree with these values? The problem, however, is not that these are bad values. The problem is that they are one-sided values. In a well-meaning attempt to promote self-directed cooperative children, child-centered parenting fails to provide the very direction the children need to develop these skills in the first place. Usually helicopter parenting occurs in a child-centered home. And today we really hope and pray that this episode will speak to the mama listening who recognizes this pattern and wants to find a way and doesn't know what to do differently. We realize that there may be someone listening today who isn't aware that maybe they're stuck in the cycle. We also are aware that maybe someone might disagree with this discussion. But what we do encourage is that for you to join in and listen today and share your feedback with us, because we're always here to have a great chat with the moms listening. So ladies, I think it would be good to begin with what is the root of helicopter parenting and what would be some markers or symptoms that maybe the moms listening should be aware of? Well, September, I mean, we we all have to agree that we all want to protect our children. I mean, that's only natural and we hate to see them struggle. And it's easy to become anxious when we see our child get hurt or be disappointed. And I mean, human nature is to do anything we can to prevent this from happening. But we know that hurt and disappointment are part of life. And the sooner a child realizes that, the better. I mean, those things help a child mature and help them learn to become more adaptable to situations. And I think for some parents, they have the issue of becoming totally wrapped up in their child's accomplishments. I know that can be true for like I was the parent of an only child, and it's easy to get just so wrapped up in that. And when their child succeeds at something, they feel that they're a better parent because of it. I know my husband and I had to be very conscious of this when we were raising our daughter, Francesca. I mean, it would have been easy to wrap our identity in hers, especially as her name began to be known and all that. Another thing that I see a lot of times with parents, you can fall into the trap of what I call the American Idol parents, especially if you have a child who you believe is gifted. If you remember when American Idol was on TV in the early days, you'd have these parents just convinced that their child could sing and they put them out there on national TV when to everybody else, it's clear their child can't carry a tune in a bucket. But it was so heartbreaking hearing Simon Cowell tell those parents the truth. They were so convinced their child was the next big thing. They couldn't handle it. So I always tell parents, if you have a talented child or if you perceive them to have a gift, always get an outside opinion before you totally embarrass yourself and your child. I mean, don't put that kind of pressure on your child. Know for sure. Just get an outside opinion that, yes, there's a gift and let's put our resources into that. 
but I, and I think with helicopter dads, it's easy to overschedule their child. They, they'll do that just to give them a competitive edge. And I know they can often try to regulate their child's friendships and their social standing because they want their child to have every possibility, which in itself isn't bad, but sometimes things just aren't so easy to control. And I think one of the scariest aspects of helicopter parenting is that it causes underdevelopment of the brain because the brain is exercised by doing. It's like failing and learning how to do it better the next time and learning how to problem solve. This increases the area in the prefrontal part of the brain that deals with decision-making. And it's, it's just like a muscle, but if not exercised, it's not going to grow substantially and those skills are going to be underdeveloped. So we want our kids to have all the skills they need when they leave the nest so that they can thrive socially, personally, and academically. Remember that a child's brain grows by letting him or her do. Yeah. So Kate, you touched on, you know, when your child is excelling and exceeding and you got to see that firsthand um, watching your daughter, Francesca, but I think it's kind of a slippery slope or, or maybe it would be better to say that it's a two-edged sword. Like if you're taking on and owning the successes of your child, then you also have to be willing to own the failures of them too. And, and that's not usually what we want to do as parents. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. I want to get back to September's original question. September, you asked what the root of helicopter parenting is. Now, I'm going to borrow Kate's hat for a second, if that's okay. Kate's usually known around here to, to say it like it is. That's fine. <laughs> and, and so I'm going to say maybe some harsh words, and I don't mean them critically, but I, I think they need to be said. I think helicopter parenting comes from a combination of pride and fear. You know, we have this pride assuming that we as parents can control every situation about our kids' lives and that somehow we're this necessary part of every equation of their days. And fear, which really stems from a lack of trust in the one who really is the necessary part of the equation, that fear can come from many places, I think, not not just a need to keep our kids safe. I think that's natural. Like Kate was saying, it's natural to want to keep them safe. But I think we also can fear what other parents might think of us. We might fear that our kids won't be able to keep up in competitive environments. We might fear the disappointment that will come should our kids actually fail at something. So we, you know, make it impossible for them to fail. And then we might also fear abandonment. You know, when our kids gain independence, it can often feel like they don't need us anymore. So we try to, you know, hold the reins a little tighter so they don't gain that independence. I think we can fear emotional or social pain or fear for them on their behalf for the, the pain that maybe they'll experience if they stumble in life. So I think pride and fear are the primary roots. And like I said, those are harsh words, but I, I really feel like they're true words. Mm. Um, as far as markers go, you know, if you're asking me, what are some things that we can be looking for to maybe weigh out whether or not we are helicopter parenting our kids, I think we can look to kids who are physically immature to do the tasks that they should be old enough to do. But they, like Kate was saying, they just haven't exercised physical muscles. And so then that's where you get the, 
you know, 15 year old who can't tie his shoes kind of thing. I I realize that's a gross exaggeration, but you know what I mean? I think you can see some helicopter parenting when you see kids who are insecure and self-doubting all the time. You know, when we don't give our kids an opportunity to make decisions for themselves or even to fail and experience the emotional and sometimes social fallout of that failure, we really nurture really unsure kids. On the flip side, when we take incremental steps towards releasing them and giving them independence, we are helping to build those muscles of, you know, decision-making and being in certain social settings, being in certain emotional settings. I think lastly, a, a marker of helicopter parenting can be when we see that our kids tend to be more of a follower than a leader, because that's just what they've been conditioned to do from us. Yeah, I think those are good. I think anyone listening now, we should just stop here for a minute and say, you know, helicopter parenting and child-centered parenting we're always wanting the best for our children. So it's not like we're bad parents, but sometimes our methods get us the wrong result, you know, the wrong results. And so maybe just shift our thinking a little bit Mm. and let's move into this thought about what the effects of this parenting style, you know, the hovering, the control, the micromanaging, making your child's priorities more important than the rest of their family, like in a child's and parent home, what type of effect does it have on the parent's or the parent, the mom themselves. And what does this do to the relationships with their children? In addition to that, as they get older, that's twofold. I've seen that happen with um, marriages. It can be divisive in a marriage. Maybe two parents are on a different page. The spouse becomes second, depending on which child is the controlling micromanaging helicopter parent. Um, And then again, what does it look like when you have children that are older? So Kate, what are your thoughts on those things? Well, I agree with you. I think it really can affect a marriage, especially if just one parent is really, you know, helicoptering their child. But I think another big risk is that parents will often put their goals and their career aspirations on hold because they believe they've got to be there for their child's every single need. So they just stop pursuing the things that God has called them to do. And if you're constantly nagging your child, it's not going to make him or her want to talk to you more. In fact, you're likely going to push them away especially as they get older, there's just going to be like, mom, I just can't deal with you. Or there's just going to come a separation. I've seen that happen way too much. And I think the other thing helicopter parenting can do because you can't control everything that causes a great deal of anxiety for parents, especially when they're older, say going to college for the first time and you're not there, you don't know what they're doing. That can cause a lot of anxiety if, if you can't fully trust them even when you know your child's in a safe environment, because it, it it does affect that trust between a parent and a child. And I think another thing, it's really hard to realize that our child's not like a mini version of us, you know, to, to maintain a healthy relationship with our child. We have to realize that they're not mini me's and it's, it's easy to just put everything on our kid. Maybe the things we didn't succeed at, or the, you know, the things we failed at, we see, we just try to put that on our child, let them succeed at it. And it will somehow, I don't know, make us feel better, whatever. And I think that when we helicopter parent, we just risk losing that trust from our children as they get older and leave the nest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can't speak to the long-term effects because, you know, the verdict is, it's far out on my kids, but I can talk about the right now implications of helicopter parenting. 
it has some real spiritual repercussions because when we place anything other than God at the center of our lives, and in this case, you know, our kids, mm-hmm. we're committing spiritual adultery. Mm-hmm. That's a heavy word, but it's a true word. Our kids should never mm-hmm. be our idols. Mm-hmm. And it's actually yeah. a really unfair and unhealthy position to put them in because they might be great kids, but I guarantee it, they make yeah. really right. bad gods. <laughs> yeah, that is a really <laughs> good point. Hey there, Mama. I just want to jump in here for a second to tell you about a resource that will help you build independence and autonomy in your tweens and teens. For the past year, I've been sending my older ones out the door with a gab phone. Whether they're going out to do yard work for the neighbor down the street or heading to the library on their bike, they can just slip their phone into their pockets and give me peace of mind, knowing that I can get a hold of them when I need to. I've always been a bit hesitant to give my teens a cell phone because I didn't want them to have access to the internet, or more importantly, for the internet to have access to them. But that always seemed to pose a real problem when they had to babysit at someone else's house or when they wanted to go play basketball at the park. But not anymore. With the Gab phone, they can have the best of both worlds, a little bit of freedom with plenty of safeguards. A Gab phone looks and feels like a smartphone, but isn't connected to the internet in any way. A tween or teen can call, they can text, take pictures, and even listen to music, but that's it. For the most part, the phone acts just like an MP3 player with calling and texting capability. If you two are interested in purchasing a dumb phone that looks and feels like a smartphone for your kids, you can head to gabwireless.com and use coupon code mom to mom at checkout. That's gabwireless.com. Mom to mom in all capital letters. Well, you know, we kind of touched on the negative side effects of helicopter parenting for the children and parents, but let's talk about the positives. How can we as moms focus and love our children still without the constant micromanagement and misplaced priority? How can we show that love to them? How can we transition them, our children, from the dependency on us because that's what's happened. They've grown to become dependent on us. They have trouble making decisions. They become entitled. They think they deserve all of our time. We've given them basically all of us. And so then when we start to pull away, we in turn may fear, fear and anxiety that they might not feel secure or loved. They might not be able to make their own decisions. So how do we love them through that process? but still raise children who can make good decisions, who aren't dependent on us for everything. Mm. What does it look like to love them? Yeah, that's a great question, September. And I think it's crucial for parents to really look to the future and the possible long-term consequences if they continue to helicopter parent. I mean, do you want your kids to constantly look to you to fix everything? Or do you want them to develop life skills? I mean, they're going to be gone one of these days. Give your kids a chance to figure things out on their own. Let them make those age-appropriate decisions like picking out what clothes to wear, cleaning their room, or something as simple as just learning to tie their shoes as a young child. Teach them those life skills like cooking and cleaning and doing laundry. They're going to have to know how to do those things. Teach them how to interact with their teachers and with other grownups. And one of the things when your child gets in a disagreement with another child let them learn to resolve that conflict on their own. Don't always try to get in the middle of it. I mean, unless they're being bullied or something like that, let them figure this out. Let them make decisions that are age appropriate. And things like letting them pick the hobbies they want to pursue or for an older child, the classes they'd like to take. 
I think the most important thing we can do for our kids is let them fail. I mean, as hard as it is, it's an important lesson for all of us to learn. I remember in, I forget if it was junior high or, well, ninth grade, we called junior high back then, but there were five girls. We all hung out together, walked to school together, everything. We were close friends. We all tried out for the cheerleading team. They all made it. I did not. And it was crushing. But at the same time, there was nothing I could do about it. There was nothing my mother could do about it. I had to learn to fail. And as hard as it is, it's just an important lesson we all have to learn. We all are going to face failure at some point, like not making the team or being picked for the school play or getting into the college they want to go to. Failure and disappointment are just a part of life. And in the words of the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. (laughs) That's for you older moms that'll know that song. But, you know, you have to let your child make choices like whether they want to play soccer or take piano or do ballet, help them weigh the pros and the cons, let them decide some of these things, teach them how to handle problems biblically and in love and brainstorm with them. Let them figure it out. Ask them, you know, what would you do, Johnny? What do you think we should do? But if they're really having a difficult time with something like homework, first, let them try to figure it out, try to problem solve. And if you do help them, just try to make it a teaching opportunity rather than doing their homework for them but always be loving and supportive, but, you know, let them do it. They've got to figure life out. So I'll just piggyback on what Kate said and just mention in episode 61, we specifically talked about how to help our kids walk through disappointments. And the lady shared some wonderful tips for those teachable moments through failure, because that in itself is a life skill. Our kids need to learn. They need to learn how to manage their disappointments. I'd also um, encourage moms to listen to episode 62 when Kate was talking about allowing our kids to navigate arguments, maybe sibling squabbles by themselves and not always jumping in to intervene. We talked about that specifically on episode 62 because that's another soft skill that they need to learn how to resolve conflict, how to say, I'm sorry, how to solve relational problems and restore them and maybe even suffer the social consequences when they do not resolve those arguments correctly. So I definitely encourage a mom listening to head to those two particular episodes. I'll just add a couple things. I think the mom who is desiring to love her kids well, while not helicopter parenting, or maybe to slowly, maybe she sees that some of these markers in her own parenting and would like to backpedal to a healthier place One, really guard against that idea of fairness because life isn't fair. But if you always insist on dividing everything equally, giving all your kids equal amounts of your time and your money, spending the same amount on, you know, gifts for each one of them, your kids are going to expect fairness all the time. And so you're sort of setting them up for disappointments and heartache later on because life isn't fair. And actually, I'd argue that fair is not always best or right or attainable. Number two, surround yourselves with moms like, I'm going to call out September for a second, but a mom who has a lot of kids, who has seen it all and done it all, because chances are the mom with a lot of kids 
has learned to let go of a lot of things because she's had to just for survival alone. Would you agree, September? Uh, yes, I agree. Yeah. If everyone right. could, yeah, perfect. You tend to model the parenting that is modeled for you, right? Mm-hmm. So if you surround yourself with a bunch of really young moms, just like you, who are kind of high, strong and uptight and so worried and concerned because this is their first child you're going to emulate that in your own life. Not to say that you shouldn't have young moms like yourself. Absolutely, you should. But if you will expand your circle to some older moms who maybe have sloughed off a little bit of that anxiety and have learned to pick their battles, have learned to focus on, you know, make the main things the main things, some of that will probably rub off on you. And then lastly, I want to talk specifically about educating your kids and this idea of helicopter parenting in the realm of their education, because I think this is a real big marker of helicopter parenting. I was a teacher in the classroom for many years, and I too often saw so many projects sent in (laughs) with these third graders. And I'm like, there is no way on the earth that uh, this eight-year-old child actually did this project themselves. (laughs) Here's what I would say. When your child is doing a project, and it, it, whether it's a school project or just an at-home project, you probably can see all the red flags of failure mm-hmm. before they even happen. Like, let me give you an example. My son, Jack, loves to do projects. And the other day, he was making a diorama. And he had the notion that he was going to glue with just regular Elmer's glue this big plastic bottle onto his diorama. Now, listen, I am 42 years old. And I knew right away, there was no way that plastic bottle was going to glue and stay put on this diorama, this little like cardboard foundation. I could have easily swooped in and told him, well, actually, Jack, that's not going to work. You should probably use this, that, or the other thing. I would have had the answer because I knew the answer, but that would not be teaching him the lesson. It would just be spoon feeding him information. So I stepped back. I didn't say anything because I knew that the natural consequence would teach him the lesson. He would learn more through experiencing the failure that I knew was going to happen. So he glued this plastic bottle onto this thing. And of course it fell apart and he was frustrated, but I'm like, what are some other things that you can use instead? And he brainstormed some ideas. He went through, I don't know, four or five different ideas that all failed, but eventually one of them worked. And then he was so proud of this project because he had completed it on his own. He had done it all by himself. And there is a sense of accomplishment and worth that a child learns when they learn to complete a task by themselves. So to just sum up, let them take risks, let them use real tools, let them make real decisions and they might try and they might fail and they might suffer the consequences of those wrong decisions and poor choices but they will have learned the valuable life lesson. That's so good, Jamie, because I think sometimes maybe we just get frustrated and we're like, oh, let me just figure this out. Let me just tell him the answer. Mm -hmm. But it's such good parenting to let them discover. And then they have that self-esteem. I love that, that you do that that way. I think that's really, really wise that we just let our kids, especially if they're in our house Mm -hmm. and they're home and they're doing it, just let them fail. They'll figure it out. Trust me, they will. And it's not easy because, you know, thinking about all the mess that was going to surely ensue when he did it the Mm -hmm. wrong way and had to start over again. Mm -hmm. But now he has that wonderful life lesson and the mess was easy to clean up. Mm, That's good, Jamie. I know. And I hope the moms listening or any parent listening knows we're not saying 
you know, let them fail, fall on their face and suffer. We're saying help them through the process, love them through the process, be there to help pick them up, show them a better way Mm. and even give them language to solve problems. You know, things when they get to a situation where they don't know what Mm. to do, give them language instead of just solving the problem. I, I think we should close with some words of encouragement, maybe some verses even to focus on, or maybe even practical tips. I know we all three of us have different things and we bring to the table for the conversation for the parents listening to this episode, and maybe they're feeling the weight that they're caught in this cycle. Mm. I mean, I think we all want to make our children's lives easier. That's just human nature. We want to be that safe place and we want to protect our children from harm and from difficult situations, but we have to give them a chance to figure things out. You know, we don't want helicopter parenting to become a regular thing in their lives. We have to let them breathe make mistakes and occasionally fail. And we can breathe too. We can just take that time to go, let me just pause here and let let him or her do this thing and figure it out. And I think the more that we can be involved in our kids' lives, the better. Involved parents know when their child's struggling in school. They know if they're dealing with a bully or even if there's mental health issues. It's the involved parent that knows that. They tend to be more involved in their child's school and they're willing to volunteer for school functions. And those are great things to do. I don't think there's anything wrong with knowing what's going on in your child's life. It's just when you're hovering too much. And I think if you're listening to this and you realize, man, I really am a hovering parent. I need to figure out how do I stop? Well, I think you you try not to back off all at once. You want to take time and do it slowly because they're used to you hovering and you're used to hovering. So you have to just really examine where you can give them some freedom And, you know, don't stand over them while they work. Don't do their work for them. Give them that freedom to make mistakes and be there for them when they fall, of course, because life doesn't work out always the way we'd hoped. But I think if you can remember to be a coach, not a dictator, that's going to help. And I love these two scriptures. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, and you could put mothers in there too, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then Colossians 3.21 says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And we don't want to do either of those things. We don't want to exasperate them or embitter them. So I think if we can just love them where they are, let them let them try and fail and encourage them, just encourage them along the way. Mm-hmm. Be, a, be a coach, not a dictator. Good word. Mm-hmm. I think with helicopter parenting, we're all sort of prone to that. And I'm sure you would agree, Kate, in September, we're all just naturally prone to want to protect our kids. We can all fall into the trap of helicopter parenting. And it's because it gives us a quick win. You know, we feel the immediate success and perfection when we swoop in to do it ourselves. And and it's easy, it's fast. But we have to remember that parenting is a long game. So we have to be willing to sit in the discomfort of things like loss, average, normal now so that we can help our child gain the skills that he or she needs for life, not just childhood. Um, I just have three ideas that hopefully will be encouraging. And please hear me in this. I'm a work in progress too, because daily I can point to different things where different scenarios in, in my kid's life, my life, where I should have just stepped back and not strong armed the situation. But here's some thoughts that tend to help me. I try to praise the effort not just the outcome, because then I'm encouraging them to try. I'm encouraging them in their character, not just whether or not the execution went off beautifully. 
when my kids transition to the teen years, I try to listen more than I speak, hear them out, hear their dreams, hear their plans. And then I love this model. It comes from the book, Small Group Leaders Quick Guide to Almost Everything by Siler Thomas and Steve Teague. It's a model for discipleship, but I think it's such a great model for parenting too. And hopefully I say it right. It's kind of a step-by-step. How do you disciple? How do you teach a child something? And it goes like this. First, I do, you watch. Second, I do, you help. Third, you do, I help. Fourth, you do, I watch. Fifth, you do while someone else watches. And it's a great empowering model to be an example to our kids, but then slowly step away so they can do it themselves. Wow, that's a great word to end on, Jamie and Kate. So let's do this right now, mama's listening. Let's land those helicopters, right? Let's take a deep breath and land those helicopters. And as we wrap up today's episode, let's consider this. Helicopter parenting subconsciously teaches our children, our disciples, that though God may seem so big, so strong, and so mighty, he's really no bigger than we are. Maybe that's what we're teaching our children. Mm -hmm. God isn't mighty to save, but mommy is. We don't want that. And this quote from Gloria Furman's book, Missional Motherhood, the Everyday Ministry of Motherhood in the Grand Plan of God, she says, the kingship of Jesus and his authority over all things is sweet encouragement to every mother's heart. What we need to address first then isn't the rules and the cultural norms and expectations of mothering where we live. We need to have a renewed vision of who rules our family. Thank you for listening. We're so thankful for your reviews on iTunes and your follows on Instagram. Have a great week.